0: The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. we on in our uh, act series to the ends of the earth. As you're turning there, can I just uh, say just a quick hello to Sally uh, Kang, who's uh, watching on from Japan today. Sally tunes in every week to our online service along with Husband Bon Gap. So hi guys, they're in Japan. Sally sent me through an email the other day just saying just how well they're going over there. And uh, Sally, sorry, I haven't got to answering that email yet. I promise I'll do it this week. All right, let's uh, look at together at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from verses 36 to 41 towards the end of the chapter today. Of course, this is a... Uh, except from uh, Peter's sermon to the crowd in Jerusalem at Pentecost, which we'll discover as we get into the message this morning. But uh, the word of God being proclaimed through Peter, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What an amazing work of the Spirit. And praise God. Gracious God, as we come to this uh, passage this morning in Acts 2, Lord, again, we uh, want to be people who, Lord, not just learn information today, Lord, about you, about your work, about what took place back there at the, uh, in the early church, but Lord, we want to also see how this applies to us today in our context, in our lives so that we may, we too may be faithful and glorious and effective witnesses for you and for our Saviour Jesus Christ. For it is His name we praise and we ask Him. Amen. Well, this passage in Acts chapter 2 records for us the amazing result of the preaching of the gospel to the crowds in Jerusalem at Pentecost that momentous occasion where the the Holy Spirit of God was given to the believers, therefore empowering them to carry out the mission that Jesus had entrusted them with. And as we've heard this morning already, that mission was to be His witnesses and to engage in the task of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see that the underlying truth that is woven throughout this chapter, is that the Holy Spirit of God was powerfully at work. And it is this same Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who is at work today, both in and through His church, causing God's purposes to be fulfilled. This is the Spirit-empowered Peter to proclaim Jesus, The same Spirit wants to empower us to be fellow proclaimers of Jesus, seeing people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're looking, if you've got your notes there this morning, if you've got your uh, booklets that uh, you might be following along with uh, throughout uh, with this study, you might like to turn to the passage and take notes today. The big idea, if you're looking for that this morning, uh, is this. The Holy Spirit is God's power source for the church to carry out his purposes. And these purposes are all centered around the person of Jesus Christ. The three points we are been looking at this morning is that it is the Holy Spirit who gives the power to communicate the message of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who works powerfully to convict hearts about the truth of Jesus. And it is the powerful Holy Spirit who leads people to confess their need for Jesus, Okay, they're the three points we're going to be looking at today all around that big idea that the Holy Spirit is God's power source for the church to carry out his purposes in the world. So let's look at uh, the first point this morning. Let me just stop. Oh, I've gone too far already. Here we go. Let's go back. The Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who gives the power to communicate the message of Jesus. You might recall from last week's message that, uh, that Pastor Mark preached that just before his, uh, his exaltation, his ascension back into heaven, Jesus is, had told his disciples to wait, to wait in Jerusalem until they had received the Holy Spirit, who would then empower them to be his witnesses. And over the next 10 days, the apostles and the disciples, they remained together there in Jerusalem. I would imagine that the, 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 uh, the scriptures tell us that they were, they were praying together, they were spending time in prayer well, imagine they were also talking about you know all what jesus had done you know the amazing fact of Jesus' resurrection that he was alive you know and that he uh, that he uh, you know had gone back into heaven and that they were the, you know the, the angels had said to them you know this same jesus who you see going to heaven you're going to see him come back again in the same manner imagine they were all you know just uh, in awe of, of all that jesus had done and the fact that he was alive he'd risen from the dead Of course, we're told also that it was during that time that they chose a replacement for Judas, and that person being Matthias. And as Acts 2 opens, it is the day of Pentecost, a Jewish religious feast that took place 50 days after Passover, the time that Jesus actually was crucified and died on the cross and rose again, 50 days later. And it has a twofold purpose, Pentecost. The first purpose is that it was... It was to remind the people or celebrated the ingathering of the grain harvest. The ingathering of the grain harvest. That was what the the Feast of Pentecost was was all about. But it was also the occasion that the Jews remembered the giving of the law of God at Mount Sinai from Moses to, to God's people. And so what we see is the Spirit is given here at Pentecost. We see... The beginning of of an in-gathering. But this time it's a harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. And as we read in our passage this morning, some 3,000 people that day were were saved into the family of God. 3,000 people. Can you imagine that? 3,000? Can you imagine if all of a sudden revival broke out here in Rumba Downs and we had 3,000 people wanting to come to church on Sunday morning? Hey, wouldn't that be fantastic? I don't know where we put them, but we'd work out something. And this in-gathering continues today as the gospel is preached. And more and more people come to faith in Jesus and are welcomed into the family and the kingdom of God. This giving of the Holy Spirit also fulfills the covenant promises of God in the Old Testament where he says that he will put his spirit in the hearts of His people, and He will put His law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, the law was given at Mount Sinai, but when the Spirit came, God says that He would place His Spirit within people, and the law would no longer be written on tablets of stone, but would be written on the hearts of people. Ezekiel 36, 26-27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, says God. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh." And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We see a similar thing in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33 where he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What we're seeing here in in Acts 2 is is God inaugurating, if you like, his new covenant people in fulfillment of all that he had promised in the Old Testament. And we're told that gathered in Jerusalem on that day in Pentecost were people from all over the known world. We see that in, in verse 5 of our passage this morning. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. When when the Holy Spirit powerfully came upon the believers, we're told in verse 11 that they began to proclaim the mighty works of God in the various languages of those people who were gathered on that day. These people that we're told, you know, they were from places like uh, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And they heard them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And the people were both amazed and perplexed by this. And we hear, and we read in the passage, that there were two. Responses. Some people wanted to know more; they wanted to know the meaning behind it. Whereas others thought they were drunk. Look at verses twelve and thirteen. It Says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean? You know this this amazing sort of you know uh, um, um, proclamation they're hearing the, the the mighty works of God are being proclaimed by you know by these these Galileans people who are uneducated." People who had no kind of school and that sort of thing, they were proclaiming the message, the mighty works of God, in the languages that these people could understand. They were amazed. No wonder they were amazed and perplexed. And it causes some to ask, what does this mean? But others just mocked them and said, no, they're filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. And so Peter uses this as an opportunity to stand up with the other apostles in order to address What's going on, and to address the people's reactions. Now, this is the same Peter who, only a few weeks prior to this, had shrunk back in fear when he'd been asked, "Hey, aren't you one of the one, one of Jesus's followers? What, haven't you been with him three times?" Peter denied knowing Jesus, having any any knowledge of him, having anything to do with him. Three times he had he had denied his Lord. And yet now here he is. He stands up in front of probably many of the same people who had called for Jesus to be crucified. Peter stands up and boldly testifies to Jesus. And you've got to ask yourself, what on earth has changed in this man's life? It's in that short period of time. What on earth has happened? Of course, what's happened is that the Holy Spirit has come and filled him enabling him to boldly get up there and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to these crowds. The Holy Spirit gives him the courage and the ability to proclaim to them that Jesus is indeed God's Messiah. And Peter says, you know, rather than the disciples being drunk, Peter points out that what these people are witnesses to is the beginning of the fulfillment of a prophecy given by the prophet Joel. And we see that in... In, uh, in, in the verses 17 through to 20 where where Peter uh, uh, goes back and he recounts this prophecy from Joel chapter 2 and he's saying that this this pouring out of the spirit of God was an indication that they were now in the last days because if you read the passage and we'll read 17 it says and in the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy you know in the old testament the holy spirit only came upon certain individuals the holy spirit didn't come on any on anyone and everyone Spirit only came on certain individuals and generally it was people whom whom God had a special task for particularly the leaders like uh, prophets and kings and, and, and leaders like judges and those sort of people in the Old Testament and the Spirit would come upon them God would, would would put his Holy Spirit on them for a set purpose for them to accomplish but then once that was done the Holy Spirit was then removed. Joel is saying, he says, in the last days, those days when, when God's Messiah comes and begins to set up his new kingdom, it says, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters. They shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams on even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. In other words, there's there's no distinction here. The Spirit will come on all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they will carry out this kind of they'll be kind of like mini prophets, if you like, to the people around about them. People proclaiming the message of Christ. And folks, if you're a believer in Jesus today, that's you and me we ourselves are recipients of this same spirit and we have been given this, this, this task of prophesying, of telling about the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ to our neighbours, to our workmates, to our neighbourhoods, to our friends, to our family. The complete fulfillment of this prophecy awaits the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. That's what verses you know 19, and, and 19 through to 21 speak about. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. There is still a, a complete fulfillment of this prophecy to come, but it's always being partially fulfilled now the spirit being poured out. but Jesus' first coming, that is through his death and resurrection and ascension, it it ushered in these last days, what we might call today the church age, or the age of the spirit of God, the age of salvation. This is the age in which we live, folks. The age where God's spirit has been poured out and God's spirit is being is is washing over out, out, out over the world and bring, and convicting hearts and bringing people to salvation in Jesus Christ. We ourselves are part of this great age of the movement of God in our world. Isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that spectacular? It's the age where, through His Spirit empowered followers, God urges people everywhere to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. It is the ingathering, the ingathering of His chosen people, people whose hearts have undergone a radical change, like that was spoken about in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where we're giving instead of our hard hearts, we're giving a, 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 heart, a soft heart, a heart that is responsive to the to the Word of God through the Spirit of God, where the law has been written on on the hearts of people by God's Spirit, who then causes them to Peter goes on to say that this outpouring of the Spirit is also evidence of the fact that the Jesus of Nazareth was indeed God's Messiah. In fact, it is only because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished through his death, resurrection and ascension that makes the giving of the Holy Spirit possible. Look at verses 22 to 24. It says, men of Israel, Peter says, hear these words. Okay, mark what I'm saying. Take really good notice of what I'm saying. And then he quotes you know, from Psalm 16 uh, where, uh, where um, you know, he's talking about uh, you know, the one who will rule on, David, on David's throne. And David writes Psalm 16 and he says, you know, The Lord won't abandon me to, to the grave. And, and David said, you know, No matter what, the God's going to be with me. But he goes on to say, But you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. You know, there's a there's a deeper meaning that David is speaking about here. He's especially speaking about the one who will reign eternally on his throne. Because David can't be speaking of himself, because David actually died, and he, the, the people knew that he was. You know, that his bones were buried in a tomb. You know, verse 29 it says, "Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day." he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing today. In other words, what, what uh, you know, Peter's saying is that you know, what you're seeing that's, that's taking place right now in your very midst is, is the, the work of the Holy Spirit, but that itself testifies to the reality and the truth of Jesus, who Jesus is. That is indeed the risen, exalted Christ there at the right hand of God. And God, who is the initiator in in all of the work of salvation, has given to Jesus his Holy Spirit. And Jesus, who is the one who carries out the will of the Father, then takes that Holy Spirit and pours it out upon his church, upon his people. This is really annoying me this morning. All right. Peter goes on to say that this outpouring of the Spirit is, is evidence of the fact that Jesus is indeed God's chosen Messiah. although this passage speaks much about the Holy Spirit, its central character is Jesus. The whole passage is about Jesus, about his life, death, resurrection and exaltation. And folks, Jesus is the message that we as his church have to proclaim. How good and how great and how glorious Jesus is. Jesus, surely? Yes. That is the message. Grant told us this morning as we we sung those songs to start with, our treasure is Jesus. And we've got this glorious treasure which which we have in the person of Jesus and it's that, that same treasure that we need to be sharing with all those around about us. truly disciples of Jesus, then we also have been given this same spirit by which we are empowered and boldened to proclaim the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ. Like spirit-filled people, in fact, spirit-filled churches seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That should be a characteristic of those who are filled with the spirit of God that we can't help but speak about the person and the reality of Jesus. Is that a reality in your life? Can you not help but speak about Jesus? When presented with opportunities to speak about Jesus, we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to give us that boldness, to give us that courage, you give us the words. We also need to be praying for opportunities. Praying that the Spirit will work in, in people's hearts and lives, those people whom we, we move amongst each and every day. Praying for the work of the Holy Spirit to come upon those people, to, to, to be at work in their lives, and so that God can call us alongside them and then proclaim the truth of the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who works powerfully to communicate works in us to to communicate the message of Jesus Christ to those around us. There's also the Holy Spirit who works powerfully to convict hearts about the truth of Jesus. In verse 36, Peter gets to the absolute crux of his message, where he tells the crowd that, that God has made this Jesus, to whom Peter had been testifying, and who they themselves had witnessed the mighty works of God done through him, that God had made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ but that they themselves are guilty of rejecting him and putting him to death on a cross with the help of lawless men. Of course, Jesus' death didn't take God by surprise, did it? Peter's already made clear that his crucifixion was all part of the purposes and foreknowledge of God. We see that in verses 22 and 23. It's Jesus' Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter makes clear that it is indeed God's plan, God's sovereign plan. And in fact, that's reiterated in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, speaks about Jesus as a suffering servant. It says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. That even though God had ordained, this according to his will and purpose, Peter makes clear that these people were very much guilty for their part in Jesus' death. And so we see again this tension of God's sovereignty working out his plan and purposes but human responsibility, that they were still guilty of killing Jesus, of rejecting him. Luke goes on to tell us that when the people heard this accusation, that they were cut to the heart. But all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. And now in verse 37, when they heard this, when they heard this news, this accusation, the people were cut to the heart. Form in the Greek, makes clear that this is a work that is being done on these people. It's a work of the God. Which is the work of the powerful work of God's Spirit, who is has coming to bear on the hearts of these people. It's not something that is that is emerging from within them, but something which the Spirit of God is bringing about in these people. I'm reminded of the account in Second Samuel 12, where. Remember the prophet Nathan confront, confronts David over his sin of, you know, with Bathsheba and his murder of her innocent husband Uriah. Remember that story in Second Samuel twelve, where the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells him this story, and you know, and, and, and he and he says to David, he, you know, you can you can almost see him pointing at David. and He says, "David, you are that man. You are the one. You are the guilty party, David." David is, autumn, you know, is, is immediately, you know, comes to to that point of saying, "Oh Lord, I have sinned." And and we read about David's response to that accusation in Psalm fifty-one, where he writes these words. He says, "Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sights, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here we see David saying, if, it, if, if God does not pour out his mercy upon David, then David's history. David's history. David. David. In his, in his heart of his sin. And this is what we're seeing here in Acts 2. Suddenly many people come under the incredibly deep conviction of the Spirit that they were guilty of this terrible thing of rejecting Jesus as God's Messiah and Savior and in fact of being complicit in his death. And folks, the thing is this. We either stand righteous before God or condemned before God purely on response, in our response to his appointed saviour, King Jesus. To reject Jesus, to deny the truth about his identity, to refuse to bow our knee and, and, and submit our lives to him will result, we're told, in his judgment. And for those who consistently reject Jesus, we're told that it will result in eternal damnation, to be forever shut out of God's eternal kingdom, and to have to endure everlasting suffering and torment. Folks, we need to understand the bad news before we can get the good news. We need to be understanding what we've been delivered from before we know how to understand the the gloriousness of God's love and grace, and what we're being delivered to. Spirit of you know falls on these people here at Pentecost. We see this powerful work of God's Spirit bringing about this this dead conviction in our in their hearts that they were in serious trouble before God. They had put to death the only one who could offer them salvation. And folks, in our rejection of Jesus, we too do away with the only one who can save us and forgive us for our sins and to give us hope of eternal life through his spirit. And it is our task as God's followers, as Jesus' disciples, to, to, to get this news out. People need to hear the truth of the gospel and be given opportunity to respond. And as believers, we need to be praying that indeed the Holy Spirit will bring about conviction in the lives of those whom we're seeking to witness to. What we also need to understand is that conviction enough, oh sorry, co- conviction alone is not enough. It needs to be accompanied by something else, and that is confession. It is the powerful Holy Spirit who leads people to confess their need for Jesus. See, having been convicted in their hearts of their terrible sin, the people ask Peter and the rest of the apostles, they say, brothers, in verse 37, what shall we do? what do we need to do in response to this news what do we need to do it's my mum's birthday yesterday i remember um, a number of years ago i was only a teenager at the time i was working in townsville and mum was working in the, the we were both working in the post office there in townsville and i remember I, uh, one day i sort of went through i was i worked out out the, the back uh, the back area of the post office mum worked on the philatelic counter and i went out one day through into the main into the main area all as I walk out, the lady who worked on the counter next to my mum yells at the top of her voice for all in the post office to hear, Duncan, how de- how could you have forgotten your mum's birthday? Of course, you can realise how it felt about this big at that particular point in time. How could you have forgotten your mum's birthday? And all of a sudden it hit me. Oh my goodness, what have I done? Forgotten I've forgotten mum's birthday. Now, if it had just stayed there, if I'd have just felt convicted and nothing else, then really realistically that meant nothing, did it? Apart from the fact I might have felt bad. But no, I needed to act on on, on, on on those convictions. And so I needed to then, you know, go out quickly to the shop next door, grab a card, grab a present, come back in, write it, wrap it, and give it to her. <clears throat> to make amends and I made sure that I endeavoured never to forget a birthday again although I think I might have done again once since then you see confession and repentance are the only proper responses to conviction of sin confession and repentance Folks, we need to admit our sin. We need to take ownership of it and responsibility for it. And we need to repent of it before God. Now that word repentance means to, to turn around and go back in the opposite direction. It means to do a complete 180. It's recognising that, that we, before God, it is us who are wrong. It is us who are the sinners, It is us who have chosen to go our own way and be our own kings and our own lords and build our own kingdoms. Recognize that that's wrong. And instead turn around and and turn towards God and recognize that God is the one who is right. And God alone is the one who deserves our devotion and our allegiance and our worship and our adoration and and everything about our lives needs to be focused and centered upon God and his purposes. That's what repentance means. And from a spiritual and salvation perspective, this only happens when God softens our hearts and uses his word empowered by his spirit to cut us deep, to bring about spiritual life and fruit in our lives. No, I spoke of Ezekiel 36 before. In the next chapter, Ezekiel 37, the, the prophet Ezekiel is taken to this, this valley of, of dry bones. There's this this field of, of dead bones littered everywhere. There must have been this massive, big battle. And God actually says to, uh, to Ezekiel, prophesy, speak the word of God to these bones. And as he speaks, as he proclaims the word of God, all of a sudden, the bones begin to shake and they start to come to life and, and skin and flesh starts to form over them. They sort of rise to be this, this new people. Folks, God there was sort of saying that he's going to bring this new life to the nation of Israel. This is after the, uh, the, um, the exile in, uh, in, in Babylon. But it also speaks about this new life that God wants to bring to dead bodies. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. The only way that we can be brought to spiritual life is through the work of the Spirit of God in us. And it's got to happen in the lives of the people who, around about us whom we are whom we are witnessing to, whom we're called to live you know, the reality of Jesus you know, in their midst. And so we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will not only bring conviction, but will bring that, that point that they'll come to repentance and faith in Christ. Because the gospel is first and foremost a call to repentance. In fact, the Christian life should be characterized itself by ongoing repentance and faith. You know the sad thing today? Is that too many people who call themselves Christians are not willing to submit themselves to God and to his authority. convicted of our sin and generally repent of it. The evidence of true spiritual regeneration in a person's life is repentance. Is a conviction in our hearts but then that conviction actually translates into action and we come humbly before God on our knees and confess, Lord, we are Holy Spirit works in a person's heart, that heart becomes soft and willing to do whatever it takes to be right with Jesus Christ. Folks, can I ask us today as followers of Jesus, are we willing to do whatever it takes to be walking in the ways of Jesus? Or are we too happy just to continue going going about our our own life? doing our own thing, going our own ways, building our own little kingdoms, concentrating more so on the things that bring us comfort and security and all that sort of stuff, or are we actually more concerned about the kingdom of God in this world and people's eternal destinies? That's what it comes down to. The other aspect that Peter encourages his hearers to do is to be baptized. Why would Peter call on people to do that? Simply because it required them to publicly express their belief and faith in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. It it involved a public display of submission to Jesus. That they themselves are now under the authority of a new king, a gracious, loving, merciful, generous, and all-powerful king. Whenever someone gets baptised in this This tank over here, it's a tremendous testimony to the work of God in that person's life. It is also that person making a public declaration that they themselves have come before Jesus and are submitting themselves to his authority in their life. challenge you today, if you've not been baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you come to Saving Faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet, I want to encourage you to seriously consider that. In obedience to the Lord, to be baptized, to make that public declaration before the before, you know, those around about you that you indeed have come under the, the saving grace of God and the authority of God. This King is a gracious, loving, merciful, generous, and all-powerful King Jesus. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus invites his hearers. He says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened." In other words, all who are weighed down by their sin, come to me," he says, "and find rest, find peace for your troubled souls." What is God's only? What is Jesus' only requirement? You know, in in doing that, he says, the only requirement is to take my yoke upon you. That is to submit to Jesus and his ways and to learn from him. Yet he is not an oppressive ruler. He is not a malicious or vindictive or or tyrannical kind of ruler in any way, shape or form. Because Jesus himself says, for I am gentle and gentle. He's kind and compassionate to those who come to him. Therefore, his yoke that we take on is indeed an easy yoke in his word and his life. Because he's that kind of savior. Now, the one who comes to Jesus in this way finds forgiveness of sins. For every wrong against God that they have ever done and for every wrong against God that they will ever do, Jesus says you will receive forgiveness in the sight of God. To know that the God of the universe no longer holds us guilty for our sin because Jesus himself has paid our debt in our place. There is no greater comfort that a person can have in their life than to know that before the Creator ruler, sovereign God of all the universe, that we can come to him without fear, without trepidation, and come to him as father and to know that he embraces us as his children. And that's what God wants to do. up residence within you it says not only will they receive forgiveness of sins but you will receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promise is for you talking about the people there on that in that day for your children for the subsequent generations and for all who are far off everyone whom the lord our god calls to himself that is god's promise that all is speaking you know when jesus says or sorry when peter says for all who are far off I can you know think that he's you know in God's mind, God is thinking of people like you and me and those generations still to come. But that is the gift of God, the Holy Spirit. And God wants to come and, and take up residence with us. God, the Father and Son, want to live through this, through His Spirit within us, to be with us in our lives each and every day. What a joy. He will take up residence within us. As Ephesians reminds us, he'll be God's seal of ownership, his comforter and his helper, the one who empowers us to live lives that bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. He is indeed God's power source for the church to carry out the purposes of God. So let me finish by asking this. evidence in your life of the holy spirit at work today is there a desire in your heart to put jesus and his purposes first no matter what the cost are you as jesus's follower actively engaged in his mission of being witnesses and making disciples for him Are you looking to Jesus alone as the source of your righteousness before God and not anything of your own efforts? Is Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, speaking to your heart today, maybe convicting you of sin in your life? Maybe the Spirit of God might be speaking to you this morning and your heart is being cut deep conviction is coming upon you through God, calling you to take action on that. Folks, can I urge you strongly, as strongly as I possibly can, urge you, do not walk away from that without responding to God. Do not ignore him. Do not ignore his work in your life. Heed the warning in Hebrews 4, 7, where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because can I say, the more that you say no, the more that you ignore, the harder your heart becomes. And the greater chance for you to completely walk away from God, from his purposes in your life, Instead, call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Amen. I don't often do altar calls. Some will say that's not necessarily a good thing, but today I think it's it's relevant and it's important that we give people the opportunity to respond to what God may be saying in their life. God might actually be saying to you in your heart today. That for you as a you know, as as maybe someone who has perhaps sat in this church even for, for for week after week after week or listened online. And yet you have not come to that point of actually finally admitting that you need Jesus as Savior. That Jesus is indeed the only Savior. For our sins, the only one who is able to offer us the hope of eternal life. I Invite you this morning. So perhaps when the music, the music team is going to come up in a minute, they're going to start playing our last song. Lord, I need you. I invite you to come to the front of the church this morning as a response to the to what the Spirit of God may be saying into your heart today, and that you want to you want to today actually take up that invitation of Jesus to, to, to call on his name and be saved, to know that you can come and be a part of the family of God, can be saved into the family of God. You're willing to repent before God of your sin, to, to turn away from, from that old life and instead walk in a new life with Jesus Christ as your Saviour and your Lord. I want to invite you to come forward as we sing this song this morning. I also want to invite you to, if you're a person maybe who's been Perhaps you know who knows Jesus. Who maybe you know have have made that 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 uh, that that, that um, uh, uh, confession of faith previously in Jesus Christ, and yet you know you know your life at the moment just doesn't really you know your life really is all about you right now. It's not about God. It's not about Jesus. It's not about His purposes. It's, it's all about you and building your own little kingdom. And today, maybe if God has been speaking to your heart and saying, you know what, it's time to change today. It's time to to admit. That, you, you know, it's your life is not about you. Jesus has saved you for a bigger calling, a, a higher calling, a more glorious calling in this life. And that you want to surrender afresh to Jesus today. That you want to come and repent of your sin and say, God, I'm sorry, I've been living for myself and I don't, want to, I don't want to go that path anymore. Instead, I want to come before you, Lord, and I want to be yours and yours alone. To use me as you please, to do with me what you will. I invite you to come this morning. A fresh that desire in your hearts to follow Jesus as Savior. And Lord. So let's pray as the musicians play. I just want to invite you to come. Let's let's pray, Father God. We thank you that your your Holy Spirit is indeed your Spirit, your power to come, Lord, among. Your people among the people to convict us, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives. Convict us of our, of our sin, Lord. Convict us of, of the fact that we stand in, you know, already under your judgment. But, Lord, that we want to come today and we want to confess you. We want to confess Jesus as Lord. We want to confess our sins and we want to, Father, today receive forgiveness of our sins. And we want to move forward today in, in that new life which you have promised us in Christ. Father God, we pray for your spirit to now work, work in people's hearts and in our lives, whether it be here in this place, whether it be down there in the back hall, whether it be people in their own lounge rooms, there and watching online. Father, if you've been working in their hearts this morning, Lord, bring them now to that place of, of, of true confession of repentance before you, of conviction, we pray. And Father God, may you pour out your spirit, may you please to pour out your spirit amongst us as your people. Father, that you would empower us and enable us, equip us, embolden us to in fact live lives that indeed reflect, that, that, that bring glory to, the, to, to Jesus Christ and him alone. Father, we pray. Our oh Lord, our heart's desire is, is that you would indeed do your work now as, as you have promised to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. and praise. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.